Hey there. Good morning to you all. Good Tuesday to you. I hope wherever you're at in the country today that it is at least warmer than it was last week <laughs> throughout most of the country. Except, of course, my, uh, my hometown in California, which, you know, went down, got all the way down, I think, to the 50s, you know, um, this week. And, but, uh, but out here it's been cold, uh, on, so it's been really nice the last couple of days. It's been up in the 50s. It was up in the 50s yesterday. It's ridiculously nice. It was like summer. Morning, Barb. Good morning, Bonnie. That's who I see so far. I see there's more people, but I don't see names, so that's all right. Uh, we are going to be looking at Job chapter 8 today. So um, in case you're just joining us to sort of um, get you up to speed, on the progress of Job. Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Whitney. Um, there's a few others there, but that's okay. You don't need to let yourself be known. If you don't want to be, you can be anonymous here. Um, so recap, story of Job. Uh, Job loses everything, basically, except his wife and, uh, and a few friends. Good morning, Cindy. And uh, the fact is, the friends initially, I mean, they try, they try based out of their wheelhouse, you know, for a few verses in chapter two, they actually do a pretty good job. Uh, and then uh, it goes downhill real quick. And so last week we saw, we heard from Job's friend Eliphaz and Eliphaz, um, <laughs> Brian Link will be so happy to hear that you think his beard is better than mine. Uh, and you're right, by the way, right now, it's still got a little growing back to do, but uh, anyhow, let me let me stay on point here. <laughs> so Eliphaz last week basically gave the prosperity preachers response to suffering, um, and uh, you know your best life now type preaching, and uh, and today's friend Bildad the Shuhite, or what we might call him Bildad the Legalist, um, really gives a similar message, but there's definitely uh, different shades to the messages that Job's friends give. And Bildad gives what I would argue is a, well, basically straight up legalistic message. And what you'll see in here, and this is often the truth with a legalistic response to people, is that there's, there's often a lot of truth mixed in with, uh, with what's being said. But um, that's true with legalism as well. Uh, but in the final analysis, it's not helpful to our sufferer, Job. So let's hear what Bildad the Shuhite has to say, chapter 8. How long will you say these things in the words of your mouth be a great wind? Does God pervert justice or does the Almighty pervert the right? Bildad is responding to Job lamenting over his suffering. If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, Surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. And though your beginning was small, your latter days will be very great. For inquire, please, of bygone ages, and consider what the fathers have searched out. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing, for our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words out of their understanding? Can papyrus grow where there is no marsh? Can reeds flourish where there is no water? While yet in flower and not cut down, they wither before any other plant. Such are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. His confidence 
is severed and his trust is a spider's web. He leans against his house, but it does not stand. He lays hold of it, but it does not endure. He is a lush plant before the sun and his shoots spread over his garden. His roots entwine the stone heap. He looks upon a house of stones. If he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him saying, I have never seen you. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the soil others will spring. Behold, God will not reject the blameless man, nor take the hand of evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter, and your lips with shouting. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the tent of the wicked will be no more. Well, end of reading. So, let's dig into this response of Bildad, Bildad the legalist, uh, to Job's suffering and Job's lament. First of all, what we hear throughout this passage, throughout this response, is attack instead of comfort. Listen again to his words at the very beginning of his address. How long will you say these things in the words of your mouth be a great wind? In other words, Job, you are full of hot air. You need to stop talking and saying such things. Now, it is true that Job had said some difficult things in his plea for death. And that's what he was doing in his suffering. And he probably was hard to listen to. But this response is not helpful at all. The legalist response typically is like this, which is to always err on the side of what they perceive to be right, even if it's at the expense of comforting their friend. And so often, the legalist's first question when someone is in pain is not, how can I help you, but what did you do? This is the response of the legalist. Not how can I help, but what did you do? Good morning, Danielle. It's usually, well, if you just do this, then, etc. Now, I can't help but think of how I am as a parent sometimes and how I fall into this trap of assuming the worst, of assuming that there must be, uh, you know, going on the attack first instead of hearing out what my kids have to say whenever there's, you know, wrestling or trouble or chaos in the home. And so I'm guilty of this myself. I'm guilty of going right to the accusation rather than uh, the comfort. A Lutheran study Bible says this, quoting Luther, uh, or talking, it will quote Luther, it says, in the midst of trials, we need constant and regular reassurance of God's love for us, anchored in the cross of Christ. And Luther writes this, people who have gone through spiritual trials know how necessary it is to support their heart with a sure and strong comfort that will finally bring them back to the hope of grace and help them to forget the wrath. Well, the legalist doesn't do that. The legalist just points the finger and says, what did you do? So the legalist is in the business of assuming the worst instead of the best. Uh, in the small catechism, uh, Luther's small catechism, when it's discussing the meaning of the eighth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, in response to the question, what does this mean? It says, we should fear and love God that we may not deceitfully belie, betray, slander, defame our neighbor, 
but defend him, think and speak well of him. And listen to this last clause here, put the best construction on everything. Unfortunately, all throughout the story of Job, you will find his friends putting the absolute worst construction on everything that has gone on with Job. The constant assumption is that Job must have done something to bring this suffering upon himself. And so let's look at verse 4. Look at the chutzpah of these guys here of Bildad. Quote, if your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. Now, do you hear that? Do you hear what he's saying? He just comes right out and says to Job, listen, the reason your kids died is because they, they had some sort of transgression they had committed. This must have been because of some sin. You just have to accept it, Job. They were unrighteous. And let me tell you, if there's one sign of the legalist dealing with the comforter or dealing with the sufferer that's often true, it is that they are constantly prone to assume the worst. And the system that they need, I mean, the system that they live in is that God is a, uh, a God that... that deals with us in a tit-for-tat way, you know? I mean, he is, he, there's only one possible reason that any suffering could have happened, and that's because they must have done something wrong. Now, how often do we hear some uh, Christian buffoon after any natural disaster? I mean, any natural disaster, you know it's coming, right? You know it's coming. Some buffoon on TV who claims to be speaking on behalf of God or getting some word will declare that, yes, indeed, this happened, this suffering happened because it's clearly their sin that brought it upon them. Literally saying things that God has given them no information about, and yet they declare this nonsense, they just breathe this hot air out, and it always gets picked up by the media, and I always shake my head in disgust and beg the media just to talk to one sane Christian who will tell them, no, this is not the way it works. But it happens every time. It happens every time you get the modern-day Bildad, the shoe height, the legalist out there, assuming that whenever hardship comes, it must be because of the sin of some area. As if a thousand other areas don't have the same kinds of sins. Like, goodness gracious, I just, oh, the anthropology just drives me nuts. I could rant here for an hour. I won't. Let me just go on. The wise Christian instead knows the sufferer does not need to hear your judgments about why this tragedy may have come upon them or may not come upon them, especially when the accusation is actually false. What they need to hear from you with them is that God is with them, that you are with them, that Jesus died for them, and that every transgression that they should have been punished for has been placed upon him. All right. Let me get back to my calm, rational self. The legalist is in the business often of giving good advice instead of good news. Verse 11. Can papyrus grow where there is no marsh? Can reeds flourish where there is no water? While yet in flower and not cut down, they wither before any other plant. Such are the paths of all who forget God. You see what he's saying? You've forgotten God, Job. The hope of the godless shall perish. I'm warning you. 
His confidence is severed and his trust is a spider's web. He leans against his house, but it does not stand. He lays hold of it, but it does not endure. Now, what is what he's saying technically true? Uh, yes, in the broad sense. But is it true of Job? There's no reason to believe that whatsoever. As a matter of fact, the book tells us the opposite. The Job, it, it only calls him a righteous man. It only calls him a man that God loves and has great affection for. And again, I point out at the end of the book, even though Job laments and says terrible things about his life and wants to die, Job's words are extolled by God, while Bildad's words are punished by God. And if it isn't for Job standing as a mediator between God and his friends, they would actually face God's wrath for their terrible counsel. That's how angered God is at what they have to say to him. So, let me... Let me wrap up our brief discussion of Bildad the Shuhite. In truth, if I'm honest with you, I find myself having to admit that far too often I'm a legalist too. I can be just like Bildad. Far too often I have attacked rather than comforted. Far too often, I can assume the worst instead of the best of people. Oh man, and as a preacher, I mean, I'm full of good advice. Whew, I know, <laughs> I know how to tell you to do everything to fix your life. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, it comes out. And I have commanded a person instead of giving them promises when they needed it at most. I've done it all. And you probably have too. You probably, I mean, we're human. We make mistakes. We, we, we're not the heroes in these stories most of the time, folks. We are the heels. And we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, Luther describes the human being as having a little legalist living inside each of our hearts. So what then? What do we do with that reality? That we've too often been on the side of Bildad in this situation rather than Job. Well, the Bible's... The Bible actually makes it pretty simple. The Bible actually just says, own it. Admit it. And then flee to the arms of the one who is actually not a legalist, but filled with grace, Jesus Christ our Lord. Because the fact is, Jesus came to save legalists just like you and me too. <laughs> uh, he came for us too. I love, I love the contrast. Let me just close here. Of what Bildad says. Bildad uh, talks about, you know, in his last diatribe to Job, ab about the reed in the marsh and, um, and how, you know, uh, reeds can flourish with, only with water. And I love the contrast of what Jesus says. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 20, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. In other words, Jesus offers a different answer than Bildad. Jesus says you can come to him with your bruises and your smoldering faith due to your legalism and lean on his grace toward you. And Jesus promises that he will indeed speak words of comfort to you in your suffering and brings good news that he has taken your sin of legalism with him to the cross, has nailed it there, and left it in the grave. And that's really the word that needs to be delivered to the sufferer, 
and needs to be delivered to legalists like Bildad, it's the word that saves both at all times and in all ways. So, all right, gang, next week we look at, we take a break from looking at Job's friends and we discuss in Job 9, uh, Job's, this character Job refers to as an arbiter. And I think we will see very clearly that Job, whether he recognizes it or not, is starting to scratch the surface about the way God works and the Savior that he will provide. So, all right, gang, I hope you have a great week. God bless. See you soon.